If you would like to appear on an episode of My Story Living with Lupus, you can contact us at mystorylivingwithlupus at gmail.com. Also visit us on our Instagram page and also our website, My Story Living with Lupus. and opinions expressed on my story living with lupus podcast represents each person's individual experience by listening to this podcast or reading our blog you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others as always Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. My Story Living with Lupus podcast is officially trademarked, all rights reserved. Thank you for joining me for another episode of my story, Living with Lupus. I'm your host, Susan Hendricks, and I'm so glad that you could join me on this September the 4th, 2020. Can you believe it's September? And we have like four more months before 2020 is in the history books. Today's episode is about lupus, older age, male sex, and the rise in cancer risk. That's right. We're talking about the role that lupus, your age, and the male sex plays with the risk of cancer. Also, I want to tell you about an interesting conversation I had with a PA, physician's assistant, um, regarding people that are seen um, in doctor's offices and in a hospital setting. Yes, we're talking about the bias among some medical students towards people of color. That's right. We really had an interesting conversation and um, I'll tell you about it. So, you know what I want you to do? All the way from the United States to the capital region of Denmark. That's right. I see you. I see that the podcast is growing in Denmark. So grab your cup of coffee, your cup of tea, and to my listeners late at night. You know I appreciate it. And come on and join the conversation right here on My Story Living with Lupus. We all know the benefits of apple cider vinegar. Now, you guys know that I'm a vegan and that I have lupus along with other health issues. I used to take ACV every morning before I worked out, but eventually the taste of ACV got to me and I had to look for another alternative. And that's when a friend of mine turned me on to Goli. Goli is the first apple 
cider vinegar gummy. They give you all the benefits of ACV without the taste. That's right. Goalie is vegan, gelatin-free, gluten-free, and 100% organic. And the vitamins and the ACV in Goli promotes a healthy heart by maintaining a healthy cholesterol range, controls blood sugar levels, and also curbs your appetite. And the best part about Goli, for every sale generated, a child in need receives a six-month supply of essential vitamins with vitamin angels. So if you don't believe what I'm saying, I'm going to give you some information so you can try Goalie for yourself. Here's a promo code you can use. It's Sue Lynn One. That's S-U-E-L-Y-N-N-E-1. And you'll receive 5% off of your initial purchase. Also, I'll leave a link in the description in the podcast. So, why don't you go and try it for yourself? You won't believe how good it tastes. That's Goalie. All right, you ready to talk about this? Well, we're going to talk about lupus, older age, male sex, and rise in cancer risk. First, before I tell you about the story with the um, physician's assistant. Now, among patients with systemic lupus erythematosus, we know it as SLE, cancer risks overall were associated with older age at diagnosis and male sex and lung cancer specifically was related to smoking. Analysis of data from a large multi-center cohort found. In a multivariable analysis, the hazard ratio for any type of cancer among patients enrolled in the Systemic Lupus International Collaborating Clinics Inception cohort was 1.05. For greater age at baseline, while the risk for women was lower with a hazard ratio of 0.47. Now, as shown in their study in Arthritis Care and Research, for lung cancer specifically, a history of smoking more than 15 cigarettes per day was associated with an almost seven-fold increased risk. Now, how many of you with SLE still smoke? You know, I quit. I used to smoke, and I used to smoke heavily when I was in college. Um, Instead of getting something to eat, I'd pick up a cigarette and I would puff, puff, and pass it on over into the ashtray and steady um, typing or looking up research. I did that for the longest and I quit. And I hope that one day, if you are still smoking, that you will quit also. Now, interest has been growing with regard to the risk of cancer 
among patients with autoimmune disease. Now, see, we, well, I did this um, a while back um, regarding cancer and lupus, um, including lupus because of a potential role of inflammation in malignancy development. In addition, certain medications um, have been linked with cancer in the past. Previous studies of cancer risk in SLE patients have been limited in size and a reliance on retrospective administrative data which do not reflect various clinical factors and drug exposures. Now, to address this knowledge gap, the researchers analyzed data for 1,668 patients enrolled in the cohort from 1999 to 2011, who were seen yearly with information collected on disease activity, medication usage, and cancer diagnosis. Now, during the follow-up, which totaled 15,014-person years, mean nine years per patient, there were 65 cancers, 15 breast cancers, 10 non-melanoma skin cancers, 7 lung cancers, 6 prostate cancers, 6 hematologic malignancies, five melanomas, three cervical cancers, three kidney cancers, two gastric cancers, two head neck cancers, two thyroid cancers, and one each of rectal cancers, sarcoma, and uterine cancer. Wow. When the researchers compared the incident cancers according to baseline patient characteristics, the results showed that whereas 89.3% of patients without cancer were women, only 78. 3% of those who develop cancer were. Now, mean age at the time of SLE diagnosis was 34.2 in the non-cancer group compared with 45.6 in the cancer group. Now, wow, this is amazing current or past smoking was reported in 33.3% of the non-cancer group, but in 47.7% of the cancer group. Now, white race was reported for 48.7% of the non-cancer group versus 67.7% of the cancer group in an unadjusted univariant analysis factors positively associated with any type of cancer were older age at SLE diagnosis. And white race, and ever smoking, while female sex was associated with a lower risk. However, in the multivariate analysis, only 
older age and female sex remained significant. Now, the researchers then estimated risks for the specific types of cancer. For breast cancer, only older age at the time of diagnosis showed a significantly increased risk in the multivariant analysis, while anti-malarial use was associated with a lower risk. Now, for non-melanoma skin cancer, associations were, were observed for older age at diagnosis. For lung cancer, all cases occurred in patients who were current or past smokers. The risk was lower among women and higher among those who were heavy smokers. Now, none of the lung cancer patients had been treated with methotrexate, but all had received long-term treatment with antimalarials. It was not possible, therefore, to provide risk estimates for those medications. With hematologic cancer, once again, older age at SLE diagnosis had a significant association, as did having either been in the highest quant trial of SLE diagnosed activity. Now, all patients with these malignancies were white and had um, ever smoked, but none had been treated with um, a drug. So risk estimates for those factors also could not be calculated. Now, one major finding was that certain cancers, particularly lung cancer, occurred more often in patients who had ever smoked. Now, this was a key modifiable risk factor. And the researchers pointed this out. Now, the observation that male sex and older age at the time of SLE diagnosis were associated with higher risk in most types of cancer may be at least in part because these demographic groups are at a greater cancer risk in the general population. However, further study of cancer risk in the potentially vulnerable SLE populations would be of interest to determine if longer windows of observation results in the same findings or identify any additional risk you know, the researchers had added a limitation of the study they stated was its observational design, which cannot establish causality. We'll be right back. Now, I hope you didn't think I was going to let you off the hook that easy. Now, if you are smoking and you have lupus, and you don't even have to have lupus, if you're smoking and you have a chronic illness, if you're smoking and you don't have a chronic illness, I want you to listen to this, especially those who have chronic illnesses and those who... um have lupus. 
how does smoking affect people with lupus? Now, people with lupus are more susceptible to infections. Respiratory infections are among the most common. Smoking cigarettes increases the risk of um, pneumococcal pneumonia and chronic bronchitis. Now, there have been researchers who have reported that passive smoking or regular exposure to secondhand smoke also raises the risk of having this type of pneumonia. Now, when it comes to the heart people with lupus, um, long-term moderate to high doses of prednisone have been found to develop heart disease. That's right. 20 to 30 years earlier than the general population. Now, it's, un it's not uncommon for angina, heart muscle pain, and even heart attacks to occur in people with lupus as young as 30. Smoking increases the risk of coronary artery disease. Smoking also increases the risk of heart attack and diabetes, insulin or non-insulin dependent diabetics. Now, when it comes to vascular compu compu complications, tongue-tied right now, listen, we know lupus can affect the blood vessels and circulation in a variety of ways. Raynard's phenomena is common in people with lupus and when active results in poor circulation to the hands and to the feet. Smoking contributes to blood vessel spasms and can magnify the effect of Raynard's, making a mild case worse and could result in severe damage to your fingers and toes. Now, we know Raynard's is no joke, and it really isn't. I have Raynard's also. Raynard's is no joke. But lupus vasculitis can cause narrowing of blood vessels and reduce blood flow to tissues and organs. Smoking narrows blood vessels and worsens peripheral vascular disease, which is poor blood supply. Now, antiphospholipid antibodies found in people with lupus may increase the risk of serious blood clots and strokes. Smoking also increases the risk of stroke. Now, what about the kidney? I'm not going to let you get away easy. Smoking contributes to elevated blood pressure, which worsens kidney disease. Kidney disease and lupus can result in hypertension. Now, I'll tell you about a study. A study at Stanford University of individuals with lupus nephritis found that those who smoked progressed to end-stage kidney disease far more quickly than did non-smokers. 145 months versus 273 months. What about the digestive issues? Smoking has harmful effects on all parts of the digestive system contributing
to such common disorders as heartburn. Now the liver function. Now, the liver breaks down many of the medications used to improve symptoms of lupus. Smoking affects the liver by changing the way it metabolizes drugs and alcohol. In some cases, this may influence the dose of medication necessary to treat an illness. Now, when it comes to your skin, lupus, and smoking, we know that lupus causes hair loss and other skin system symptoms. Now, there was a study at John Hopkins University School of Medicine where they found lupus skin disease is more active in smokers than non-smokers. Studies in mice indicate a link may exist between smoking and both hair loss and premature gray hair. Although lupus skin disease may be effectively treated with anti-malaria medications, smoking has been shown to interfere with the benefits of drugs such as hydroxychloroquine, better known as Plaquenil, and chloroquine. Now, you didn't think that smoking could do all of that when you have lupus. Well, I'm here to tell you it can, so I want you to stop. Now, what about bone health? with lupus and smoking. Do you think that smoking affects the bone health of an individual with lupus? Now we know smoking slows bone healing. Meanwhile, medications used in the treatment of lupus, such as prednisone, anticonvulsants, antiacids, containing aluminum and heparin increase the risk for fragile bones that lead to osteoporosis. People with lupus can develop diabetes, making them prone to poor wound healing. Smoking slows wound healing even more. A Vascular necrosis of bone can develop in lupus and may require surgery. Smoking slows recovery from illness and surgery. So, where do you go from here? Well, first you have to make it up in your mind that you want to stop. And once you do that, we know it's going to be hard. Once you, But once you make it up in your mind that you want to stop smoking, go ahead and talk to your doctor. Because if you think you're fooling your doctor that you're not smoking, you're not fooling your doctor. It comes through in your blood work. That's right. You know, that's right. It comes through in your blood work. So talk to your doctor and you guys set up a plan. And if you don't want to talk to your doctor, do the research. It's information out there that um, can assist you. Um, Just take, take it one day at a time and don't be disappointed by the setbacks. Just embrace the notion that quitting smoking is the right thing for you and for controlling your lupus or 
your chronic illness. When we return, I'm going to talk about the conversation I had with the PA. So stay with me. You know, those of us with lupus experience hair loss, thinning hair, either from the illness or the medication we take. I have the perfect solution for you. It's called Vitalize. Yes, Vitalize can help you. They are in the business of growing healthy hair. They have a hair system that can help you, and even better, they have a new and improved edge control gel. That's right, ladies. There is no flaking. It lays down the edges and also protects it from heat. But wait one minute. Most importantly, the edge control has the award-winning hair growth ingredient retinin saw. Addition to the three-part scalp treatment system, there is a silk pillowcase for you to lay those growing locks on. Shampoo, conditioner, and multivitamin gummies. You can see reduced shedding. In two weeks, you heard me, and most See results in four. To see proof for yourself, go on over to VitalizeHair.com. That's V-I-T-A-L-I-Z-E-H-A-I-R.com. And use the referral link listed in the information box on this podcast. All right, we're getting ready to talk about um, the biases that exist, be it conscious or unconscious, in the medical field towards people of color. And if you would go back through on um, my podcast, I've talked about it. I've talked about it because I've seen it because I've worked in the medical field. Now, the increasing diversity, let's start off like this, in the United States population is reflected in the patients who healthcare professionals treat. But unfortunately, this diversity is not always represented by the demographic characteristics of healthcare professionals themselves. Furthermore, patients from underrepresented groups in the United States can experience and will experience the effects of unintentional cognitive unconscious biases that derive from cultural stereotypes in ways that perpetuate health inequities. Now, unconscious bias can also affect healthcare professionals in many ways, including patients, clinicians, interactions, hiring and promotions, and their own interprofessional interactions. Now, I say all of that to say this. 
on um, Tuesday, I had two doctor's appointments. One was at 7.30 and one was at 12.45, all located in the same medical center. The later appointment was with um, my pulmonologist. Okay, but my first appointment, I went to, I thought it was going to be a good day because I had to bring, um, I had to grab Sue Lynn, that's what I call her. Sue Lynn Madea, that's that's her name. When I get ready to go off, I had to compose myself while I was having a discussion with the PA in the doctor's office. And he stated, can I call you Susan? I said, sure. He said, you are different. And I said, oh, to myself, I said, here we go. This is not the first time I've heard it. And see, I've had this conversation with my brother. And um, me and my brother talked about this. He said, you are different. And I said, in what way? He said, you talk different you act different and he said you went to college I said well why you say that he said it's in the way that you carry yourself and the way that you talk um I don't hear people using the words that you use and he said I take it that you were in some form of the medical field I didn't say anything I let him go on he said you're not like the rest and that's when I had to grab Sue Lynn back I said what do you mean that I'm not like the rest. He said, we watch you when you come in and how you carry yourself and how you, um, your speech, your tone. He said, you're not like the rest. And I told him, I said, come here, take a seat. I said, let me explain to you about stereotypes and biases that exist in the medical field. And I said, whether you did it consciously or unconscious, you just brought up several biases and several stereotypes. I said, yes, I was in the medical field. Yes, I am educated. I have college degrees. I said, but it does not make me better than the next patient that comes in here and the doctor tells you to do the workup first. I'm not better than that patient. I said, you get people from all walks of life that enter this medical facility. And I said, they may not have had classes like this in medical school, but what I'm about to say to you 
can actually work in your best behalf to get patience to feel comfortable with you. I said never talk down to a patient. I said you can never judge a book by its cover. Sure, there are patients that may not understand the medical terminology um, and so forth. But what you have to do is talk to that person as your equal. Because see, just because you have that white coat on does not make you better than the custodian that cleans up the offices or the next patient that enters this office. And so he said, oh, I didn't mean any harm. I said, I cannot sit back and honestly let you get away with what you've just stated. I said, I have been told that numerous of times that you're not like them. And when you use that them or the other people, what do you think? that you're conjuring up. I said, that's bias. And in, in fact, it can be taken as racist. So I said, do me a favor. I said, do you speak or ask people who are white what you just stated to me or asked me? And he said, no. He said, now that I think about it, no. I said, so what is that perception that you're giving off? I said, you see, that's why the majority of the underserved don't particularly like physicians. They will hold off going to the doctor because the first words come out of a patient's mouth, that doctor always talks down to me. And I told him, I'm not saying this just to you. I would state it to a person of color who is a PA or even a doctor. And I said, I have had conversations with doctors of color who wanted to box and unbox me into a certain group. I said, people are people the number one priority for you being in the medical field is what? And he said, the health of that patient. I said, that's right. I said, the better you treat that patient, the better you will be able to get information from that patient. But when you talk down to a patient because they may look different than I, they may not have the best of clothes and shoes on, they may not speak or understand medical terminology like I do. 
I said, you have to think about that. And he said, Susan, you are so right. No, we are not taught that in medical school. I said, I know it. I said, just like there is a fallacy that people of color can withstand pain better than whites or another race. I said, that is a fallacy. Now, for me, if I'm in real pain and in the hospital, I said, yeah, I remember one surgery I had. I told him that I was in so much pain. They had me on a morphine drip. And the nurse came in and she said, I think she called me Miss Hendricks. If you are in pain like it's showing, she said, press that button to to get the morphine drip in. All I had to do was just press that button on the morphine drip. And I said, no. I said, I don't want to get hooked on anything. So I will take the pain. She said, I have to call the doctor and tell the doctor that you won't utilize the morphine drip and to see what else that we could give you to ease your pain. I said, you do what you want to do, but I'm not pressing that button for no morphine where I'm just, I'm just out of it. I need to know everything that's going on with me. So I told the PA, I said, not all people of color come into your office to get controlled substances to sell on the street. I said, get that out of your head. And I said, the way the system is set up now, and I said, I know you guys already do it before I even come back into the room. You check with the state to see if I'm hopping from one pharmacy to the other to get prescriptions filled. And he said, no, you don't. I said, I know it. And I said, I know that's what you guys do. But you need to get the bias and the racial undertones of people when you come in, when they come into the office. And he told me, Miss Hendricks or Susan, I appreciate this conversation. You've shed it light. And I'm going to work on it. I said, you do that. And he said, I, I really appreciate your talk. And I told him, no problem. So later on, on my second appointment with the pulmonologist, the student doctor came in, looked me from head to toe. We were talking, I was talking to her, and I'm watching, I'm watching her body language, her actions, and everything. And she said, hmm, you have on nice shoes and a nice outfit. And so I started laughing. And she decided to come with the same exact 
thing that the PA stated to me at 7.30 in the morning. You're different. You're not like the rest of the patients that come in here. So I had to have the same talk with her, but I told her, you being a woman of color, and I said, you are a woman of color, even even though your nationality is Indian, you should be the first to think about what you say, the racial biases and the undertones that you say to another woman of color. I said, you experience the biases, the undertones, just like people of my color do. And I told her, so here is some advice for you. And I repeated the same thing that I told the PA at 7.30 in the morning. There exists a strong bias against people of color, which is African Americans within the medical field. I've talked about this numerous times. Never allow anyone to put that stigma on you, that stereotype on you, because it is a stereotypical attitude that the medical field brings out. You know, um, it's there. It's there. And I wish they would have a class on it in medical school. There is implicit bias in um, the healthcare field, and it's sad. My color should not make any difference when I step into that office. The way I speak to physicians, the staff, or are we sitting down, me and the doctors, and we're going over my results or or anything, you know, should not even be a topic for discussion. We are treated differently within the medical field. There has been a lot of research that shows that African-American patients are treated differently than white patients when it comes to health care. Never let anyone tell you that it does not exist. I've worked in it, seen it firsthand, and most of all, I've experienced it. Yeah. I've experienced it from those doctors who have put their behind on their shoulders and think that they are a gift to the world, a god. And they really need to come off of that high horse that they're on and meet people across the line and talk to people 
across the line on that person, each person's individual level. It's one thing my parents always said to me when I was going to um, college. You will not be an educated fool where you think that you are better than anyone else. We raised you to talk to people on all types of levels. You will respect people. You will not put the next person down. And that's how I live my life. I'll be back with my closing remarks, so stay with me. Susan Hendricks, your host for my story, Living with Lupus. Don't forget to get your goalie gummies and your vitalized hair products. I will leave a link in the description of this podcast. Um, the link would be for discount codes. To get a percentage off of goalie gummies and a percentage off of vitalized hair products. Tell you vitalized and goalie are really good and it works. I would not recommend these products to you if I did not use them myself. I plan on going live on Facebook Saturday around 1 p.m. in the afternoon we'll be discussing well I will be discussing my foundation the Charlie E and Minnie P. Hendrix Foundation also um, what's coming up for the podcast by hopefully by October. What's coming up new for October? But I want you to have a most peaceful, positive, and oh-so-blessed weekend. And remember, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Martin Luther King. I'll see you next week for another episode of my story, Living with Lupus. Stay safe, everybody. and opinions expressed on my story living with lupus podcast represents each person's individual experience by listening to this podcast or reading our blog you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself 
or others. As always, consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. My Story Living with Lucas podcast is officially trademarked, all rights reserved. Thank you.